Yvonne Hubert here, coming at you from Tampa, Florida. Hey there, Rafael Gonzalez here, also in Tampa, Florida. And we are so excited to bring you a new guest, Dr. Gerilyn Dots. Rafael, what do you have to say about Dr. Dots? Just love her. I've known her now for a long while and um, have followed her incredible intellect. I think one of the most uh, smartest, brightest folks in all of our workers' compensation industry. And to boot, you know, she has a heart. She cares about folks, uh, an amazing practitioner. Um, Her research, her uh, analysis, the, the, the material she's published over the years, oh my goodness gracious, incredible. I've had a chance to present with her on a number of occasions at conferences throughout the country. Just love her. Just an amazing, amazing individual. I agree. And we're going to let the episode speak for itself. It's a long one, but it starts off with a really good laugh. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get on with it. And I hope you listeners enjoy our fun and insightful episode with Dr. Gerilyn Datz. Here we go. Hey there, Rafael Gonzalez here. And we are already laughing because we we have got a special guest and we're so excited to bring her on today. Welcome, Dr. Gerilyn Datz. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. I'm so happy to be here with both of you. I just love you guys and um, personally and professionally. Uh, Well, we are super excited to have you as our guest today, and we're already laughing. We will get to that in a second. But first of all, uh, please, uh, Dr. Datz, let our listeners know who you are and where you are. Where are you calling us from today or where are you joining us from today? Absolutely. Uh, I'm in my office. I'm in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Our main office is here in Hattiesburg, um, president of Southern Behavioral Medicine, which is a company I started in 2011. And we are a specialized group mental health practice. Um, we, I'm licensed in several states, Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi. So we work primarily in those states, although just like everyone nowadays, we kind of work across the United States since all the restrictions have been lifted due to the pandemic. So we see patients telehealth uh, all over the country now. Uh, And we've been doing telehealth, I'll say, for a long time since, oh, I've been doing that since before I started this company, just just because in healthcare, that's just a a very essential service. Um, But we have a satellite office in Flowood, Mississippi, and I also work in Louisiana as a medical psychologist. But our main digs are here in Hattiesburg. I call it the Austin of Mississippi. It's a very metropolitan area. Got a medical, couple of medical schools and universities and colleges and not too different from uh, where I grew up on Long Island, actually. Kind of looks very similar. Awesome. So we always start the podcast off with a laugh and we are already laughing. So I cannot (laughs) wait for you to share with us. So I know what you're going to talk about. So share with us something that made you laugh out loud recently and let's all share a laugh. Uh, When I filled up my gas tank. (laughs) That made me laugh recently. (laughs) Um. Not what I was expecting. Okay. But tell us more. What made you laugh? 
outrageous um i had never paid uh what was it like 105 dollars to fill up my gas tank or whatever it was so oh, i just it was it was crazy i have a you know a suv and i just looked at it and i said what are you gonna do you know so that that made me laugh out loud and y'all just made me laugh out loud while we're, we're chatting, chatting about my escapades. Your escapades. So, um, well, it's good that you can laugh about the gas tank versus whatever everyone else is doing, which is crying. So um, <laughs> good to know that. So I'm going to dig a little deeper. So you just shared a story with us before we started recording. I want you to share just so we can all share a laugh again. Um, uh, a little story about something that happened last November when we were all out at the uh, National Comp Conference. So go ahead. Yes. So um, I was speaking on a panel with Stuart Coburn and some other folks. So I was going out there to speak. But the real thing that I was excited about was going to the Kids Chance charity event. And I, I always managed to miss them either on, you know, coming in and going out or what have you. So um, you were so graciously hosting that event, had invited me. I put a lot of thought into it, picked out my outfit. I knew the people I wanted to talk to, and I was just very excited. Well, um, it started with not being able to get to the event because, as you know, when you're in those big hotels, sometimes you can't access certain floors. So I was on the elevator and I'm trying to get to the rooftop and I can't get there and I'm enlisting the help of the staff of the hotel and they can't get there. And I found this very gracious woman and she takes me to a back stairwell and tries to get me in the back door so we can get to the 24th floor and she can't get in. And then we get locked in the stairwell and we have to call the front desk and I'm back there all dressed up and she's in her, you know, hospitality scrubs and we're just trying to you know, make small talk until they can get us out of the stairwell. So I get out of the stairwell, find where I'm supposed to go. Is it Mandalay Bay? Anybody who's been there, Colossal Hotel. So they tell me where to go and to look for the special statue and a special podium and a special man who's going to let me in. And I wander through the lobby and I find the man and I'm not on the list. And I say, I know I'm on the list. And they say, we can't find you. And there's this big hustle and bustle. They're trying to get people in. They'll have masks and don't have masks. And here's a mask. And just get on the elevator, ma'am. So I jump on the elevator and I get up there. And there's, you know, apparently two different events. But I go into an event that looks exactly like the event that I'm supposed to be at, except I don't see a single person that I know. So I'm at this event and I think, well, maybe they just aren't here yet because I was there early, you know, with bells on and I wanted, didn't want to miss a darn thing, you know, so I get a drink and I'm eating appetizers and people are flowing in and I'm, you know, I'm having such a weird gestalt of it. Like as a psychologist, like I could recognize I was trying to make it make sense and it did not make any sense. And I stayed at this event waiting to see you, Ralph somebody, anybody I knew, other people, you know, they would come up and we would talk and they were industry people. So, you know, we talked about peer review and all of these things. Two hours goes by, nothing happens. There's no charity talk. You know, I'm, I'm you know, asking a few people, hey, do you know when kids chance? And they're just kind of looking at me like, hmm, you know, and just, I guess, being polite. <laughs> and so while all of this is happening, then I get a phone call from my house sitter that my new puppy has ingested nine inches of a dog toy and needs to be taken to the pet ER at midnight. 
And so I run out to the lobby, again, encounter this guard essentially saying, you can't come over here, ma'am. This is a private event. And I'm standing in in front of the elevators, coaching my 18-year-old pet sitter through the logistics of getting the puppy to the vet and what's going to happen with the induced vomiting and everything. Everyone's listening to me. They probably think I'm coaching someone through an overdose, which is honestly what it sounded like. Okay. (laughs) I sounded like a lunatic outside the elevator. And I turn around and I see you. (laughs) And I say, I'm fine. And I just like, I wanted to grab her and hold her like, like in a dream, like, I've been looking for you all of this time and here you are and what happened? And and she looked so overwhelmed and she was so polite and like, hi, Dr. Death, what's, what's, what, hi, good to see you. And I said, where was the party? What happened? Literally a lunatic. And she said, oh, we were over here. Right over here. (laughs) Right over here the whole time. And so I missed the entire thing. And um, lost a few contacts in the past. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't invite me. Is that is the is the no. message here? Unless you want a scene. If you want a scene, you can invite me. Oh my goodness! I have to say, we've been doing this about a year now, and I think this is the most I've laughed. Me too. Oh my God, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I, I remember me saying, screaming to the, the house sitter, they're going to give her apomorphine and don't worry, she's going to have force vomiting, but it's going to be okay. I mean, people are waiting for the elevator listening to this rant. Anyway, thank God she didn't go to kids' pants. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I almost grabbed her. I mean, she looked really overwhelmed well, <laughs> I'm so sorry I think it was probably I do remember that moment and being startled because you know I there were a few people that I knew had responded and had responded quite enthusiastically about being able to come and you were one of those people and so I mean it happens every time you host an event you know there's just things that happen that people can't materialize right and you know I've learned to just roll with the punches it is what it is things come up you know somehow the event doesn't turn out to be so important as you know we once thought it was but then I come out after you know doing the event and I see Dr. Dats and I'm like oh there she is and she's like in this state of you know talking about <laughs> induced vomiting and anyway it was interesting I, I will leave it at that but the, you weren't the only one I want to tell you you were not the only one I'm pretty sure I told you that that evening that there were several I spent the majority of the two and a half hours running out to fetch people because that person that you're talking about that was like guarding the door wasn't yes. letting anybody in. So I had to keep coming out to fetch people to bring them into the party. So I'm just- you really know how to throw an exclusive event. <laughs> I mean, next time I'll, I'll try to bring, uh, you know, gifts. Well, I, I was just a co-host and um, I, I'm only sad that you didn't have my cell phone number. So I'll have to make sure that you have my cell phone number because that's what was happening. People were texting me going, how the hell do I get in here? Like, right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for sharing. That was a really awesome laugh. This is exactly how we like to start off. Give us a very brief summary of your professional background and how you arrived in the workers' compensation space. Sure. 
Um, so I'm a clinical psychologist first and foremost. So I'm a PhD, you know, just to kind of break it down. Um, and I'm a pain psychologist. So I specialized in pain later. And some of you may have heard of pain psychology. It's kind of coming more into the national conversation. A lot of work at Stanford and with people like Beth Darnell and Sean Mackey, they're scientists in that area. Um, but I mean, I've been a pain psychologist since 2004. So I, I was, you know, in it before it was fashionable, I guess you could say. And, um, I, um, run my clinic and we offer pain psychology and mental health services. But, you know, I, I, when I finished graduate school, I did a residency and then I did a postdoctoral fellowship. Um, and I actually have kind of a side interest in metabolic type issues, weight loss and weight gain. And that works nicely with pain as well, because that's an issue that comes up pretty often in um, the medical sphere with pain. And I got hired by just a large community hospital. That's how I ended up in Mississippi. Never thought I'd be in Mississippi, intended to be in Louisiana. That's where I did my residency and my postdoc and being a native New Yorker, I kind of just wanted to go to another port city and, you know, people from Louisiana kind of sound like the people from New York and New Orleans. And it was a nice fit, but I ended up getting offered this amazing directorship at a community hospital in Hattiesburg. I, I really thought I was going to kind of disappear into anonymity when I took that job. And actually quite the opposite happened because I'm the only pain psychologist in the state and actually one of the few kind of in the region, um, I ended up being a really big commodity. And um, that's how I kind of got into workers' compensation because I was running a um, outpatient pain clinic where I was running pain groups and treating people. And some of those people were on workers' compensation and it just kind of kept growing from there. I still treat probably about 50% of my payer mix is workers comp right now, but I do a lot of commercial and group health and I treat Medicare patients and people like your parents and my parents and, you know, young folks, people in college. And I think that helps me keep a pretty balanced view of um, healthcare and people. Awesome. Well, I know. Um, so yeah, pain psychology and, 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 it, all the stuff we talk about in, in terms of pain is really a big topic we talk about a lot. I know you know our friend Mark Pugh. I'm sure you've met yes. him and probably spoken um, on panels with him before. He's another Many one. Times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your role and what is it you do as it pertains to workers' comp on a on a day to day basis. So I get referred clients through many mechanisms. So someone may come to me through a court order of my state or local states commission, you know, we want you to do an IME on this person, or we want an opinion or a treatment plan, or we want something to happen that never did happen, you know, a psyche vow or, or what have you. Um, I get referrals from attorneys um, who both sides, plaintiff and defense. So um, I'm a recognized expert um, by both plaintiff and defense in several states. And then I also, I would say the vast majority of my referrals come from other healthcare providers um, with respect to workers' comp. And so that might be uh, ortho or it could be primary care. 
Um, and then a smaller group of clients come to me through case managers and adjusters. So that's how people come to me. And they might come at any point in the claim process, right after the injury, which I absolutely love. And that's the best. And um, the time at which I can be most helpful and prevent delayed recovery and assess or not treat. You know, I love when people refer and they say, we think there might be a mental health thing, or this person was exposed to seeing another coworker die or shot or get stabbed, or they got hurt, or there was a robbery or, you know, a break-in or whatever the case may be. We'd like you to take a look at this person. And I love those cases because, you know, something is not always there. And that's a great, you know, way to keep a a claim clean, I guess you could say, from the beginning. More often, um, I used to get only legacy claims, and that's kind of something that's shifted over the years. Uh, I've been doing this, oh, I don't know, 16, 17 years now, and I would only get people very late in the process, which you can help people late in the process. I've got a great story of a nurse from down on the coast of Mississippi, and she was on opiate therapy and had kind of given up, and actually during our evaluation, she told me her plan was when her daughter finished college, she was going to take her own life because she just was so depressed and in pain and didn't see a future for herself. And we actually enrolled her in our outpatient pain rehab program that we had at the time. And um, I just love this story. And, And she was a nurse, you know, so she knew about helping people and healthcare and recovery and everything. And uh, we got her off, weaned off her opiates and doing 10,000 steps a day. And she took notes. I remember she wanted to like become a mentor to other people in the group and we stayed in touch and uh, she just completely turned her life around. So when you hear legacy claim, don't ever, you know, give up because you just can't give up on people ever. You you can never give up on a person and never believe what people say or the predictions. I mean, Take them with a grain of salt, but definitely, you know, make your own opinions and talk to these, you know, individuals, the injured workers uh, themselves, because sometimes, you know, it's just a pile of paperwork and assumptions. You know, no one's really gotten back to the person. Um, But nowadays I am um, pretty, I would say I usually catch people in the first year to two years, um, which is nice. And, you know, it's not straight out the gate. You know, I do get some of those cases, but, you know, if someone's experiencing delayed recovery or they've been through a catastrophic injury and there's been a lot to take care of, and just now they're starting to see, wow, you know, the the nightmares aren't going away or the depression's not going away or we've tried different methods and, you know, now we need to look at psychotherapy or you know, the person's asking for treatment, which I also love to hear when that's honored. You know, I need help. I need support. And so, you know, the patient, I deal with a lot of patients with pain, but we also just do straightforward general mental health, trauma, depression, anxiety. I've got a number of um, sexual harassment claims right now, um, dealing with victims of sexual harassment or assault in the workplace. So really any uh, area of mental health is something that I touch on and that we touch on as a practice. Such an important um, issue these days, all the way around. There's so much um, we're dealing with, um, aside from work-related things, just in general, as society, we're all, 
It's I'm I'm very happy to see, and I know we've talked about this briefly in passing, that we're starting to see mental health become sort of a leading topic in almost all the conferences. And so I think you mentioned something um, uh, having gone to national uh, comp conference in Vegas that we were talking about earlier, there were multiple sessions on mental health. And so it's so good to see those things. Um, oh, I, I made that a point to mention in our panel when we were introducing, I said, before I even say my name, I want to say I applaud the conference organizers I think there were eight tracks of mental health and not only that, and I guess, you know, as you know, we all have our niches, you know, but mental health is my niche. And I've seen mental health talks that are just sort of glossy or, you know, superficial, or maybe it's more on the negative tone of, you know, malingering or, you know, whatever the case may be. And these talks were not that Mm -mm. these were solid, robust, you know, biopsychosocial topics Mm -hmm. that were balanced and really appreciative of the role of mental health. I just, it's giving me goosebumps right now. Like I've been to, you know, comp meetings, like I said, since, you know, the mid two thousands and we all know the tone was very different. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember when I heard the term, you know, claimant the first time in a conference, I didn't even know that people were using that term because I was a healthcare provider and we were always trained to say client or patient and, you know, or person or individual. And, um, I love that, uh, Dr. Claire Musselman has made a, a point to talk about that as well, because it is such a awkward and sort of labeling term and, and such a, little, a legal term. It's depersonalizing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've just come so far from that. I do, too. I, I, I think I mentioned, I can't remember if it was in talking or on the on the podcast, but I was in California last week at another conference, Parma, Public Agency Risk Management Association. They started and ended the conference, um, both keynotes. There was an opening keynote and a closing keynote. And both keynotes talked about mental health um, in different ways. The first, the opening discussion was um, titled Good Anxiety. And I found that very interesting. Um, Basically, the gist of it was when you look at the things that create anxiety within yourself, if if you are curious about those things and learn about what's causing you anxiety, it helps you to understand more about yourself. And so I thought that was a really, of course, there's a lot more to it than that, but very fascinating talk. And then the closing keynote was Mark Pugh. And he talked about um, some of the things that have happened in his life over the past couple of years and how that helped him to build resilience. So um, yes. and then there were and then there were several uh, sessions also that touched on mental health, um, as you mentioned, in the biopsychosocial um, aspect of things and dealing with claims. So very interesting indeed that we've come a long way from, like you said, in the early 2000s when um, it was sort of taboo to talk about mental health in the comp space. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really going to revolutionize the approach to, to claims. I mean, these are not new lessons, right? Like in healthcare, we already do this, you know, with Blue Cross and with Medicare. I mean, there's a concept of wraparound care and there's a concept of screening and understanding that mental health is physical health and physical health is mental health. They are reciprocal. You can't separate the mind and the body. And I think it was really to the detriment of comp that because of the legal structure, 
you know, to my understanding, you know, the idea of opening up a site claim became the limiting factor of wanting to ignore the mental health aspect. But that was really shooting itself in the foot because, you know, people know when they're not mentally okay, And then they started to feel the sense of perceived injustice, which created more litigation, ironically, right? Because when you're angry, that's when you hire a lawyer or when you feel like you're not being listened to. And when you're not getting better, you just get frustrated. Um, but of course, you know, having your, your role change and your body change or, or something traumatic happen to you is going to alter things. But I, I love this new focus of talking about it and treating it because treating mental health, and I know there are stigmas here too, and we can talk about them, you know, it doesn't have to be a black hole. Like we get people better every day. Our happiest day is when, you know, people are leaving and they have their coping strategies and they learn things. And if you've had that experience and you've leaned on a team to help you through an emotional time or grief or injury, you know what that's like. And the, and the whole point is to enable independence of the patient or the injured worker. It's not to create dependence. And I think ironically, we create the dependence if we're only relying on one system like the medical system, which isn't really going to teach you a lot about coping long-term. That's right. Well, I'm going to let Mr. Gonzalez jump in here because I know he has questions. I do. I always do. Um, First, Dr. Dodds, um, you and I met, gosh, I don't know how long ago, at a workers' comp conference. We did. Immediately, right after that conversation, like, oh my gosh, I am a, I'm a fan. I am a fan. I, I get her. I understand her. I, I marvel at how incredibly bright. You are one of the most intelligent human beings I have ever met. And oh. exactly how you're talking to us today about you know, this relationship and, and the evolution of workers' comp and especially, you know, in, in pain and the emotional aspect and the psychiatric aspect of it, it was, so I immediately, I became a fan. I started to read some of your research, some of the studies that you have put together, some of the things that you have published. And I couldn't wait, right, to, you know, go out and about, see you at the next conference, hang out with you. Um, we have had a chance to present together. I, I just, um, I, can't, I can't say it enough. You know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I, I am so incredibly grateful that we got to meet, that we got to know each other, and, and more significantly, the contributions that you have made to, to the overall health of injured workers, to our industry, to the scholarship, right, in this particular arena that we're talking about here today. Um, so thank you on behalf of of all of us. Thank you so much. My goodness, thank you so much. I, I I don't know if it's possible to fangirl out over someone you don't even know who they are, but that was kind of my reaction when I met Raphael. Like you can just, he's just, you know, and everybody knows this. He's got so much positive energy and he just latched on and was curious and like asked great questions. And um, it may not be the first time we met, but I remember it was very early on we were at a Mississippi comp conference and we were sitting at dinner and talking and I pretty much stole him from the entire dinner. Like we were just like, 
are turned our chairs to each other and we're just like and then I was like and I wanted to ask him all these questions like well why does this happen in comp you know like I was from outer space and he was so patient with my questions and then he would say well now how is it treated in your world and I would say well this is what we do and so it was just so uh, amazing and he gave me such great feedback and and I appreciate that and I, I appreciate the graciousness of you and and so many others who have welcomed in my perspective, I think one of the challenges is that, and this is another thing that I see changing. Um, and we were talking a little bit about silos offline when we were, you know, prepping and, and conferences, how they can kind of get siloed and specific. But I think, you know, some of the industry conferences, like there aren't people like me, too many of them really coming into that sphere. You have to push yourself in. And, and, you know, I, I think that's a teachable moment. Maybe it shouldn't be so hard for frontline practitioners to be able to communicate in the work comp space and vice versa. I think industry professionals should be invited more often, you know, to scientific conferences and to be participating and, you know, that, that really, you know, interdisciplinary perspective of payers and stakeholders and providers because, you know, I'm just a, a good provider. I don't, I don't see myself as, you know, you know, particularly special. I just, I really like educating. And for years I've been going to conferences, uh, you know, on my own dime and energy and everything, just because I think it's important to talk about it. And there was nobody there talking about, you know, this particular perspective of, you know, seeing the workers and treatment. And I think things can get a little skewed. I'll be honest, you know, sometimes when you're on the claim side, you know, the squeaky wheels get the grease, you know, so you only kind of hear about the tough stories. And we know we're only talking about five to 10% of claims that, you know, take up up to 75% of the costs. But, you know, in that 75%, there's a lot of gray areas and there's a lot of you know, broken hearts and broken spirits and misunderstandings. And I've turned around some pretty crazy catastrophic claims that people had given up on just by listening and empowering and um, teaching skills. You've got to believe in the power of the human spirit and um, willingness, you know, and, and the unbelievable power of the body and the mind to heal itself. It's truly stunning, you know, what I've seen people come back from, you know, under the right circumstances. So you brought it up. Great is how are we doing as an industry in inviting professionals like you in this particular arena that we're talking about to be part of the programming, of the presentations, of the educational aspect of our industry. I, I mean, I, I know that you've been so active in that area, and I know that you speak around the country, you know, year round. Um, has it gotten better? Has it gotten easier? Are, are you welcomed more? Are you being asked more to talk about these things now? Um, I would say I saw a big shift during the pandemic when it was more virtual. You know, I got a lot of more invitations that I think it's grown and I don't, you know, it's not just about me. I just, you know, we kind of have, you know, you see the the players, 
Um, I, I think there's still room for improvement. You know, um, I, I love the way the industry is looking at itself, though. That's totally new. You know, there's been a couple of these talks about like, what can we do better? And, you know, like the self-analysis side. And we do that in healthcare all the time. You know, we've got our RVUs and we've got to look at our <laughs> productivity and our we got our press gainy scores. You know, I mean, all of this is done for us, we have to interact with the public, the patients, you're rated and all of that. And so I think we're confiscating, you know, it's a unique sphere because it's a little bit of an island onto itself, but I think it's learning. And I've seen some, some great collaborations. I think there could be more. I do think there's a fair amount of redundancy sometimes, you know, similar talks by similar people or vested interests, you know, um, you know, in our scientific um, talks, like we really can't hawk our goods. You know, we have to fill out, you know, like I, I mentioned, I'm speaking at American Academy of Pain Medicine uh, next week in Scottsdale. And, you know, the COI forms and, you know, people rate you if you mention a product and you get dinged on all of that stuff. And I do think there's maybe something in there. I mean, obviously, we want to learn about people's products and services. But, you know, maybe there's more of a place for that that's not like the main focus um, so that it, it's more objective and we have like a pros and cons or, you know, what systems work in different ways. Because even, you know, some hospitals or, or insurance companies can't even afford some of these really glossy services. But what are practical things that we can teach each other? that are free and, and how do we learn from each other? I think that kind of attitude from like a scientific standpoint or just a learning standpoint um, is a way that, that the comp industry will continue to grow. Love that. Awesome. Can I, um, I, over the years, and, and again, some of, the, some of the things that you have written, some of the studies that you've put together, some of the analysis that you have published, um, I mean, I, I have consumed a lot of that because I've been interested in social determinants of health um, in the Medicare, Medicaid space and trying to learn from that to bring it into our workers' comp world. Because my theory has been a comp accident is a social determinant of health. Forget that all of a sudden, you know, the injury associated with the claim but it's the financial aspects of what happens to then that individual and the family and the interaction. And of course, mm -hmm. the litigated claim. So you see that day in and day out with the patients that you see. Talk to us a little bit about that, right? The, the, the prolonged and aftermath component of that, that sphere, if you will. Oh my, I mean, I, I have a case where she just left my office yesterday. So I have a case of a woman who um, was uh, a employee of a, you know, well-known convenience store and there was a robbery and she was held at gunpoint and uh, she was shot in the neck and she lived, thank God. And um, she, uh, her claim is this, this happened in 2018, 2018 or 2017. And she came and saw me uh, last year for an IME because she had been getting community mental health treatment um, on her own. Like, you know, just like here in, in uh, Mississippi, you know, we have these low cost 
community mental health clinics. And that's where she was going for her PTSD treatment. Well, she eventually, her claim became litigated and her attorney kept advocating for her to see a, you know, a specialist because in community mental health, it's what we call mid-level providers, maybe a Mm -hmm. social worker. And there's nothing against that, but they're high caseloads. They're not doing usually evidence-based treatment, you know, the way that we would roll out treatment for PTSD. And, and just to explain that statement briefly, there's a way to treat PTSD in 16 to 20 sessions. That's very programmatic. You have to be trained in this methodology, but a lot of people respond to it and it involves revisiting the trauma and writing about it and um, making different beliefs and acceptance and learning how to control your central nervous system and just understanding how something like post-traumatic stress disorder just completely hijacks the the central nervous system and it works. And, um, you know, and sometimes it takes a little longer and sometimes it takes a little shorter, but if you do it, you know, by and large for a lot of people, it will reduce their symptoms and some people go into complete remission. But if you just go into community mental health, you're going to learn some things, maybe breathing and you'll get support and that's helpful, but it's kind of like a low dose type therapy. In any event, um, so I saw this woman, I advocated for treatment. She just came back to see me again by a court order um, yesterday and she hasn't gotten any treatment. Nothing was approved. You know, they're trying to work towards settlement, but they didn't treat her. And in the meantime, she has lost her house, lost her car, moved in with her daughter-in-law. You know, now she's a burden on his, her son and his family. She's helping out with the kids and getting them to school. Um, It's been a huge strain on her identity because, you know, she was grandma and she had it together and you're not supposed to have your kids take care of you. And not only that, she doesn't want to leave the house. So now they're in the house with the grandkids and the son and the daughter-in-law, and she doesn't want to leave. And, you know, because she's got these fears of vigilant, you know, the two guys that robbed the store are still at large. They were never apprehended. So she has constant thoughts of them finding her or encountering them or them remembering her and her positively IDing them and that leading to their incarceration. So, I mean, it's not really unrealistic, honestly. And um, she is just a shell of who she was, you know, even compared to 18 months ago when I saw her, she, I mean, her hair is thinner and she looks, you know, stressed and tired and, Um, not happy, just, you know, kind of a shell of a person. And, you know, we, I I guess if you haven't gone up and down in the income ladder, you know, I I have humble beginnings. I, I, you know, came from a, you know, a family of seven children and we were poor and kind of didn't know it, but it's not too far out of my wheelhouse to understand that losing your car and getting out of your, I mean, these have a tremendous emotional and identity impacts. And, you know, I I think the answers are system based. I'm not saying that, you know, a carrier needs to take on everything, but I do think we need to be proactive in the way that we think about these things and at least understand the impact. Mm. We can't ignore the impact. Wow. Well, I, I know this is something that Raphael um, spends a lot of time thinking about, and as do I, in terms of how the the system impacts individuals. And you mentioned, you know, how uh, Dr. Claire Musselman um, has been a very a big advocate for um, 
being selective in the words that we use in terms of, you know, not calling people a claimant um, and things like that. So we could, talk, we could talk about this for days. Um, so we love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Tell us what you are most proud of as a career accomplishment. Ooh, uh, I would say uh, I recently became a prescribing psychologist in the state of Louisiana. So I'm an MP. There are a number of places, states, um, Illinois, Idaho, Iowa, New Mexico, um, Louisiana, where psychologists can become prescribers. So I went back to school, uh, got a master's in psychopharmacology, took a test that is the test to end all tests to the end of days, to the heaven's gates, the most recognized challenging test. And I passed it. And I am now a prescribing psychologist, which is very rare amongst psychologists. There's a, you know, there's a a handful of us, but I'm very excited about that. I had originally desired a career in medicine and that drives a lot of my passion with pain and healthcare. And uh, I get to fulfill that. So I'm most proud of that. That's amazing. Congrats. That's a big achievement. How awesome is that? I love that. So let me, so let me repeat it. It's a master's in pharma psychotherapy. Is that right? I I got a master's in psychopharmacology. I got it completely. Yes. So it's like, you know, uh, you know, psychopharmacology. So medical school, basically, you know, or Um, pharmacy school. And um, then you have to pass. So it's, you know, you kind of go to a mini medical school for about two years And then you um, pass this board exam that's extremely difficult. And I can write medications that are uh, mental health related. So not all medications, but psychotropics, sleep, memory, anxiety, ADD, dementia, you know, anything that's on the mental health realm. And so um, and I do that in the state of Louisiana and other states are uh, actually Mississippi and some other states. I think Massachusetts right now has some um, a bill pending about passing that because it's so hard to get providers that are informed about mental health, you know, and NPs are overrun and the GPs are overrun. So this is kind of another avenue. Well, congratulations. That's an amazing accomplishment. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. And Mr. Gonzalez, you get the last question. All right, let's um, let's leave with a little a little laughter again, a little fun. Um, okay. Tell us something that you know the world out there doesn't know about Dr. Dodds. Tell us something fun, something out of the ordinary, something. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot the world doesn't know about Dr. Dodds. I will say that, and I will give you another little pearl. Um, so what you don't know is at one time. I was being spectated to be a female bodyguard. All right. Talk a little more about that. What? (laughs) So I, um, at the time I, uh, was, was dating a guy who was, uh, really into martial arts and he got me into Kung Fu and uh, it was a specialized form of Kung Fu. And we would go to this, 
you know, training center, which was basically a metal building in the middle of nowhere, no AC, no heat. We would train all the time. And because, you know, we were just young and in love, you know, this is like the thing that we did together. And um, we would go to um, practice, you know, training every day, you know, after we were both done with work, it'd be like two and a half hours. And I got really good at it. And he was in the military. And so there was all military guys there. And I don't know, you know, I'm no shrinking violet. So I really got into this thing and I would fight these guys who were like special forces and we would do all of these exercises together and I would use their weight against them and punch them. And I did all the drills where you, you know, you watch karate movies and you see them beating on the canvas and their knuckles are all bloody. I had that. As a matter of fact, I would go get manicures and they they thought I had been dragging my knuckles against a cheese grater because they were just so <laughs> torn up. Right. So anyway, I'm like, a, you know, two years in and I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And one day we're in the, uh, you know, the facility and these people show up and there was like a woman and she had several people with her and they showed up with this flashy car and they were talking to the Sifu and we're all just practicing for our two hours and they're watching us and we're doing our drills and I'm going at it and whatever. And uh, they leave. And at the end of the practice, the Sifu comes up to me and he said, you're never going to believe this. And I said, what? He said, that was a woman who has uh, a very high profile job and they heard about um, our training center and they came here and they were specifically looking for a female bodyguard and they watched you and they asked if they could hire you. And I told them you weren't ready. <laughs> wow. Yep. Wow. And I was just practicing that day. Wow. So it could have gone down that road. It huh? could have gone down that road. The things that could have been. Wow. So, you know, wow. if you don't invite me to the next uh, Kids Chance event, Yvonne, I might have to get out my nunchucks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Remind me not to mess around with you in the future. I, I, I... <laughs> Oh I, my I say it. I say, I say it. you never lose it, right? Maybe I still Absolutely. have, you know, the, I was the kung fu it. finger, you know. <laughs> I say it every time. I am never, I, I am never disappointed when when we ask that question. And it's such a great, great, um, great answers. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing time with us today. We have loved this. It's been amazing. I can't wait to bring this episode um for everybody to hear. It's just been amazing. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I, I love talking with you guys and thank both of you for being such spearheads in the community and, and so positive and bringing just the compassion and the warmth and the, you know, the intellect back, you know, I, I you, you have such a fine balance of bringing in thoughtful, thought provoking material but also doing it in such a kind and humanistic way. I, I just, I really relate to it. And I think you see from the feedback that you get, it's, you know, creating change. And so I thank you for that. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate those kind words, but I am so happy that you chose the path that you did yes. and that you're doing, <laughs> that you're doing the work that you're doing because we need more people like you in the work comp space. So thank you very much. Oh, you're most welcome. Anytime, anytime. All, All right. right. Thank you so much. Thank you All so right. much. Hasta Take luego. Care. Hasta Take luego. care.
Hasta Bye. luego. <laughs> hey, Rafael, that was so much fun, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, Yvonne, I love it. I just love it. It's not only informative, engaging, but a lot of fun. And man, are we laughing it up, aren't we? <laughs> oh my gosh, we are really having a good time. Uh, all of our guests have been so just willing to share fun times, fun moments, and it is it is a lot of fun. It's really exciting. But we have a message to share with our listeners. What is it? Make sure you find us out there. You know, we are everywhere, aren't we? Deconstructing comp. Where can they find us, Yvonne? They can find us on Twitter at Deconstruct Comp. And you can find us also on either Raphael's LinkedIn profile or my own, Yvonne Guibert. But please find us on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us, share it with friends. Uh, the more the merrier. We're really having a good time and we can't wait to um, bring you our next episode. So until then, hasta luego. Hasta luego, Yvonne.